1858, Abraham Lincoln won a seat in the United States Senate for the state of Illinois. And he was at the Illinois State Capitol, and they had had a whole event for the election and to announce the winner, and they had dinner, and after dinner, Lincoln got up to give the last speech of the night. And in his speech, he said the following words, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. This is kind of the beginning of a turning point for the USA. They were either going to accept slavery as a part of their nation or abolish it. And he was saying that he expected either one to happen soon. Unfortunately, it didn't happen soon enough. What happened instead was the American Civil War. Their government was split, half in support of slavery, half against. And Lincoln knew that one day they would all tilt to one side, and they did eventually, but not without a war. It's not only nations, but when groups of people get divided, it undermines their goals. Businesses, armies, sports teams, churches, once they become divided, they become susceptible to failure. Think of how many more albums or songs we could have gotten from the Beatles if they'd just gotten along. Or if you're a sports fan, there's been a bunch of teams that were at the very top of their game and it wasn't that they were taken down by a better team that came along, they were taken down by the fighting that was happening in the locker room. Until eventually they split apart and they were no longer winning altogether. And it's the same for churches. Unfortunately, churches are as prone to become divided as any other group of people. The New Testament is full of examples of churches that are undergoing conflict and division. And so knowing all of this about division, Lincoln in 1858 was advocating for the strength in the government because a house divided against itself cannot stand. But where did Lincoln get that from? In the Bible, in Mark 3, the Pharisees approached Jesus and accused him of working with the devil in order to cast demons out of people. But Jesus, the Son of God, was obviously not going to entertain the thought that he was on the side of the devil. And so he responded in verse 23 with the passage of scripture that Abraham Lincoln was quoting in his speech. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He knew that even the powers of darkness that love division and anger and causing up conflict, if they were not all together, they could not stand. So how much more does the church with this common enemy of the devil who is trying to divide us need to be united? We have this goal of bringing people together and of reaching across the lines that we as humans draw between ourselves. And we have to be unified in order to be able to do it. The truth is that division brings weakness. There's strength when we are together. We're better off together, and the Bible knew this. There is verse upon verse in the New Testament. I had no shortage of verses to be able to pick from for this message, encouraging believers to be united. We're better when we're together. We can do more. We can use more resources. We can make better decisions based on the Bible. But when we get divided, we become vulnerable. 
It's not an accident that church splits often lead to churches closing. We've had many churches in Canada, in Manitoba, even in Winnipeg that have had to permanently close their doors because they couldn't solve their conflict. For our church, we've talked a lot about revival in 2023. And it's important that we don't allow division into our church because few things could kill a revival faster than division. We must be focused on the task at hand. And I'm really grateful that overall, this is actually a pretty happy, low conflict church. Like I'm not, I'm not giving this message today because there's something in our body that needs to be addressed. But the truth is that we're all still people. And people are going to make mistakes. People are going to mess up and get into disagreements. But my question is just how can we make sure that we stay healthy when that happens? How can we avoid division that destroys? And before we get to solutions, I just want to talk about some of the risks that we have to look out for. I have a couple of thoughts on what might get in the way of our unity. First off, identity. What do we call ourselves? Our identity is so important where we live. We talk about identity all of the time, and I would say that often the areas of our lives that we most strongly place our identity is in the areas that we're most proud of. So maybe you worked really hard for your career as a lawyer or a chef or in sales, and now you identify with that career. You say like, I am a whatever that is. But when we take pride in that, we end up mixing pride and identity, and that gets us into a tricky place. Suddenly, we start to value our identity as a successful person, or as a parent, or a, a, whatever our background is, or our place on the left or on the right, or whatever it may be. And it, it gets to a place that's higher in our life than it should be. And when something threatens that, we get defensive and we argue. But the number one identity that we should hold on to, that we will actually pour out into every other identity that we may carry, is our identity as a follower of Jesus. If that's the number one way that you identify, the rest will begin to figure themselves out. We have to identify with the fact that we have a risen Savior who came, who took our sin, put it to death, and invited us into a new life with him. We have to identify more than anything else with the freedom that Christ offers us. Number two, what we want. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Church isn't always going to look how you might want it to look. You won't immediately like every person who walks through the doors. You won't like every idea that other people have but it's in the context of doing life together where we get to practice laying down what we might want in order to listen to others, to hear their perspectives, and sometimes to do things that go against what you had wanted in order to be able to do something that somebody else may need. I've seen too many people in churches who are so desperately looking for their perfect vision of a community, only to be disappointed over and over when they realize that it just doesn't exist. And that can tear communities apart. When you're part of a group and one person is in that group constantly complaining that it's not what they imagined to, to be, it can ruin the group. So we have to be careful when we 
think about what it is that we want because living in community demands that sometimes we have to lay down what we want. Sometimes we have to surrender our wants in order to be able to do what's best. Next. Someone once said, if Christians agree on 95% of what they believe, then why do they argue so much about the other 5%? When you begin to study the Bible and learn about theology, you're going to come across sticky topics. Things that are in there that seem important, but maybe the Bible isn't like crystal clear on, and it actually takes some interpretation. And so we can debate things like Calvinism versus Arminianism, or how often to take communion, or the music that we sing in church all day long. But we have to acknowledge, at the end of the day, that we have more in common than we don't. There are churches that have split apart because they can't decide what songs to sing on a Sunday morning. And that's so tragic. I'm not sure where this phrase came from, but we can't major in the minors. We can't make minor issues our major focus. We have to stay focused on Jesus. It's too easy to allow small things to become huge things, but when we do that, we have lost the plot. We're off course, and if we don't get back on it soon, we risk our unity. We risk division. Next. We can't let our sin take over our identity. We can't let unaddressed sin take over our churches. Sin never heals itself. If you don't deal with it today, you're going to have to deal with it later. And by then it's going to be worse. The longer that we allow ourselves to be silent and to not address sin and to ignore things and cover them up, the worse it's going to be when things are exposed. If you think of so many of the churches that have been exposed over the last few years, you can see that many of them have had serious issues for a long time. They've continued to hurt people. And as more and more people went through a broken system, more and more of them were hurt until one day it is like a mountain of accusations come and the church is broken and their reputation is ruined. But what if the first time that they got a complaint that someone had been hurt under their care, they took it seriously and they dealt with their issues? Could they have avoided being written up in the New York Times if they had just addressed sin that was present? Unity can be threatened by wrong identities, by majoring in the minors, and by our silence. But how can we do better? How can we avoid division? What is it that we can focus on that's positive that will help us to stay united? Five thoughts. First is that we should have love for one another. That is our common goal. Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, that the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Not by our great acts of charity, our magnificent church buildings, or our upstanding morality, but by our love. Our common goal as Christians is that we would be known for loving one another better than any other group out there. Because I don't really think that the world understands unconditional love. The world doesn't know what it is that Jesus and the church has to offer. As humans, we are quick to judge how lovable people may be. But Christ's love goes so far beyond that. Jesus loved us far before we were ever worth loving. And so for us to truly be his disciples, then our common goal is that we would love each other 
and others way before they ever might be what the world would deem as being worthy of love. Next, we have to be a house of prayer. That is our common bond. The only time that we see Jesus get really angry is in Matthew 21, when he walks into the temple and he sees that they're selling things and taking advantage of people. And he says to them as he flips tables over and drives money changers out, he says that they have turned it from a house of prayer into a den of thieves. When we come together in a building like this, our goal should be that we do so prayerfully. When we gather together on Zoom, when we meet with any group of believers, it is around this common bond of prayer, of talking to God, of, of living life with Jesus. So we lift each other up, we, we pray for needs, we are prayed for, we come together to come to God. Our common bond is around how we pray. Next is God's word. That's our common guide. The Bible should always be our guide for how we do church, and for how we live our lives, and how we treat each other. As division begins, we have to ground ourselves back into God's word, trusting that it is our reliable source of authority. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's interesting to me that it says it's for rebuking and correcting. It's, it's almost like people were maybe going off course, and to keep them united, Paul reminded this young pastor Timothy that God's word was useful for keeping people together. So when in doubt, we look to the word. What does the Bible tell us to do? How does it tell us to behave? And we go forward from there. Next, we find our common power through being filled with the Spirit. The world, our flesh, and the devil are going to try to do everything they can to get in the way to stop us, to divide us. So we must rely on the Spirit of God to help us to resist. When we're filled with God's Spirit, we're going to see the world in a different way. We're going to have grace in ways that we couldn't have otherwise. And we're going to find it easier to love one another, to pray for one another, and to find inspiration as we read the Bible. And we're going to find it easier to follow through on our fifth goal, which is invitation. It's our common cause. Our common cause as a church is to be able to invite as many people as we can to experience this life that we have described for ourselves. If we really believe that Jesus is worth following, and as we grow in each of these other areas, telling others and inviting them to experience Jesus for themselves, it's just going to get easier. For some of us, inviting others to follow Jesus is easy and natural, and for others, it might seem like the most terrifying thing on earth. But I firmly believe that as we grow and mature in Christ, it will it'll be so much easier for us to just invite people to follow Jesus. It will, it will just flow out of us so much more naturally. So we unite around these five common things. And one of the really beautiful things about church is that it teaches us how to live with one another. I can't think of another place where the mix of people that meet in this room every Sunday have gotten together. 
But I know for me, as I've been in different churches, my life has become better. And as I've gotten to know more and more of the people in our church, my life has been improved. Being a part of a church should change the people that you're friends with. It should mean that you see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together to live together and to worship together. One thing I learned about Abraham Lincoln was that three years after his House Divided speech, he was elected President of the United States. And he picked a really unusual group to be his, his cabinet. In his inner circle in the government, he picked people who had run against him. Most presidents or prime ministers would pick cabinet ministers that would agree with their policy and decisions that they want to make, but not Lincoln. He picked his rivals to come together and lead the government. These weren't obvious candidates, but they came together to form a strong team and ended up passing one of the most important documents in the history of the nation, the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed the slaves in America. I think this story goes to show that teams don't have to be all the same type of people to work. In our churches, we can come from all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences, but as long as we are united and we realize that we have things in common, we can make a difference. We must make a difference because the world around us is so broken. It always has been, but a broken world needs a broken world needs a united church. We need each other because we're better together. We're going to be able to serve more. We're going to be able to love people better. We're going to be able to show God's love to others better as we love each other. So, I just want to leave you with this, this passage from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I hope that's our prayer as a church. And... If you are a part of our church on Sunday mornings, um, we're just glad that you watched. And we, we hope that we'll always work to include people well and to love one another well. If you're not able to come to our church on Sundays, but you're watching from uh, a different place or um, getting church is not an option for you right now, we love you too and we're glad that you're part of this community. And uh, we're, we're just thankful that you would show up every Sunday and watch our services online. If you want to get connected with us more at all, maybe you've never seen our service before, but this is your first time, and you want to know more, you can find everything you need to know on our website below. And if you want to do something together with the body believers, there is a link to read the New Testament with us. It's not too late to join. We're reading through the whole New Testament this year, um, but uh, we're only about 25 or so chapters in, so... It's not too late to join. Um, you can catch up fairly quickly, and it's a great way to be able to read the Bible with other believers and leave comments and ask questions. And uh, we would encourage you to do that. But we're so grateful you're here. We hope you have a great week. God bless you as you go, and uh, we'll hopefully see you back here next week. God bless.